Well, that was pretty cool, I must say. What do you think? It is sure great to see you today. I feel sorry for you, though. I have the best Father's Day gift the world has ever seen. You have to really look at this. It's got pictures of my grandkids on my socks here. And, uh, you know, I told you my grandchild, grandson likes the Paw Patrol. Now we have the Pop Patrol. So that's all the alls I've got for today. Hey, it is really great to see you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs chapter 15. And I wanted to say, it really is great to see you. You know, I, I enjoyed those few months, doesn't seem possible, but several months that we were just doing live stream. I'd come in on Friday, look at a camera, you know, and go home and have the weekend off. But something was missing for me. I loved seeing your face. Before it all started, I, I made a new friendship with a, a couple and their master gardeners and turkey hunters. And I thought, well, great, you know, great friends here. And then COVID happens, you know, and then you don't see people for a while. And, uh, but it is just something good about being together with God's people. You know, uh, I'm grateful for you that are watching online, grateful you're able to do it. But we are super glad to be in the house of the Lord today. It is Father's Day. Proverbs 15, verse 20. It says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son despises his mother. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is observations written largely by Solomon, the wisest man apart from Christ that ever lived. And typically what he'll do in the Proverbs is contrast. Contrast good and bad. Contrast right and wrong. And in this particular case, two words are used about the way uh, children end up their lives. One is wise and one is foolish. Now, I wanted to find these words, and, and as you're listening today, though it's Father's Day, this is not just a message for dads. This is a message for anyone that influences children. Uh, maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a grandmother, an aunt. Uh, maybe you're a coach, a teacher. Or maybe you're here as a teenager, and you want to influence your peers or your friends as well. Listen, this is going to help you today. Uh, but Proverbs 15, 20 talks about wise and foolish. And as I, I searched for definitions, I looked in a number of resources, and the definitions were a little bit abstract for wisdom, but I've kind of congealed the definitions this way. When we speak of wise in terms of today's message about a child, a wise child is one who makes good decisions based on God's word and God's ways. Now, good decisions, how many know that impacts anything from uh, telling the truth rather than telling a lie, uh, working hard in school to get a good job one day, uh, not doing something end up in jail, not, doing, not uh, finding yourself pregnant at an abortion clinic. How many know all those are decisions that we would call wise? Uh, my daughter here, Rebecca, she's here today, 20. I'll try several times to embarrass her, but uh, I am super proud of her. She, uh, she has her intent. She has, uh, for really all of her life, she's a child whisperer. 
And uh, by that, I mean, she just, God has gifted and graced her to work with kids. And uh, she's looking for a career to do something, you know, uh, where kids are important uh, in her life. Uh, certainly wants to have kids one day, but uh, I'm encouraging her in a master's degree. She's pressing towards that. So she'll have a platform to do something bigger and greater. I remember years ago, uh, she used to talk about a career making money, and uh, she wanted to build orphanages around the world. Well, how I many know these are wise decisions that, in, that make the father or make the mother feel, feel, feel great? Um, foolish, now, uh, the opposite definition, a foolish child is one who makes bad decisions because they ignore God's word or God's ways. Foolish decisions will end you up in a lot of places. It'll end you up being 30 years old, having two kids on your own, raising them by yourself. Uh, it can end you up in a problem. You didn't get a degree. You didn't get an education. Uh, the marriage didn't work. There's a number of things that happen to us, and we look back on our lives, and we all have regrets. Most of my regrets happened in my life when I was 17, 18, and 19, old enough to make my own mind up, do what I wanted to, had a little money in my pocket, but yet made decisions that were against God's ways. If I could further contrast this wise and foolish, uh, Tim Tebow, picture of Tim, of course, he's a missionary's son. Uh, Mom and dad were missionaries. They raised him, but they didn't try to make him into a preacher or a missionary. They recognized he was a great ball player. He could throw the ball. They put him on the field. He put John 3.16 under his eyes. And ever since that time, he has been using his, 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 whether it's football or baseball, as a platform to tell other people about Jesus. But I saw this headline. It said, uh, now he's marrying Miss Universe, Demi Peters, but they're saving sex for the wedding night. Now, would you say that's a wise decision according to the Bible? Sure it is. Now, according to the world, when that kind of uh, testimony came out about him from the secular press, they belittled him. They laughed at him. They mocked him because how many know the ways of the world are not the ways of God? Then I saw this headline the other day that's troubled me ever since. It's about Steven Spielberg, one of my favorite uh, producers, directors. I think he and I could be great friends, but this is the choice his daughter's made. Steven Spielberg's daughter launches an adult entertainment career, which means she wants to be a porn star. And dad supports her sex worker ambitions. Everybody's free to make decisions in life to do what we want to do. But it's not a decision that's applauded by the Bible. There's wise decisions because we make decisions that are according to God's word and God's ways. And then there's foolish decisions because for whatever reasons, we end up doing what we want to do or the world pressures us to do. So obviously we want to raise good kids. The question is, how do our kids become wise? I'm glad you asked. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 it says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, see, when I do that, I want you to talk to me. I know I got you thinking with Tim and Steve Spielberg. It's the world we live in. It doesn't mean that you or I are better than anyone or worse than anyone. It just means that when we make decisions, it affects us. And the way we teach our children will affect not only them, but generations to come. It's the values that we instill. So, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, but you weren't taught them on Nickelodeon. 
You were taught them by mom and grandmother. It was Lois and Eunice. Uh, They've given you what? Wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. It was his mother and grandmother. And the spiritual truth that I want to convey to you today, when I share a biblical message, my intent is to be boiled down in one simple sentence, what I would like for you to connect and walk away with. And this morning it's this, kids become wise because influential people teach them about God's ways. This is the thrust of what we're talking about today. Today I'm going to talk about five foundational lessons that we will, uh, should teach our kids if we want them to have biblical wisdom. Uh, kind of like a syllabus. I'm calling it Parenting 101, How to Raise Wise Kids. And again, whether you're single today, if you're single and don't have children, you're going to want to raise your kids one day. And you've got the most to gain from this because you've got time to start the right things from day one. Uh, again, if you're here today and a single mom, it's dad's day and you may be angry at dad right now, but yet you have the responsibility of raising those kids and you can do it. I know grandmothers and grandfathers that are raising their kids. This is a wealth of information. Uh, coaches. Pastor Travis is coaching a t-ball team. He was bragging that they're 2-0 and so far, and, uh, but yet he has the chance to teach those kids not only how to play ball, but he can pray with them before the game. He can teach them how to to compete against the opposing team, but not hate them, because how many know we love our neighbor? So let's dig into it today. Five lessons. I think you're going to get something out of it. And the first one is arguably the most important one. It's one that I never would have imagined that I would have to say from the pulpit in my lifetime, but I do today. And it's this, teach kids there is a God. Teach kids there is a God that wants relationship with them and to whom they're accountable. And that's kind of like a a triple-decker sandwich, but let's break it down. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. uh, Jesus was asked this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, how many if you're sitting at your computer working and you get this big message that pops up and it says... uh, uh, file is distorted or damaged or something, uh, save a copy now or you'll lose all your work. And you're working on a term paper or you're working on a big project at work, a big budget that's due tomorrow. How many know when you see that, you're going you're gonna to address that? You're going to pause just a minute and make sure you hit the right key. Well, this is this kind of message. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. But yet there's sometimes Jesus would even say, truly, truly, I say to you. Or Paul would say, this is God's will. Or Jesus would say, this is the greatest commandment in the Bible. And these are ones that are like the top of the mountain that we gravitate towards. And Jesus said this when asked what was the most important commandment. And they said this, love the Lord our God is the one and only God. Jesus made a a statement, an unequivocal statement, that there is a God. Now, we'll talk about our culture in just a moment. There is a God, the one and only Lord. If you wanted to do a study in comparative religions, you could see the, the, uh, the advantages and the values and the trueness of Christianity. But Jesus was making a point that not only there is a God, but verse 30, he said, you must love the Lord, say it with me, with all your heart. All your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. 
So there was something in this relationship with God that was more than just going to church on occasion, but it was an intimate, vibrant relationship with God. Now, kids today are being raised in a godless culture. I want to say that to you, and I want to underscore that today. When I see, say godless, that doesn't always mean that it's evil. I mean, no, there's some good things in the secular world, but, but, but it's, it's void of God. You say, well, what are you getting at, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, again, uh, my grandson, he's almost three, and his favorite show is Paw Patrol. And uh, my favorite time of the day is when I may be sitting in my little recliner, and uh, he comes up to me and says, Henry's turn. And uh, so I know what that means. Paw Patrol is coming up. And uh, it was kind of hard for me. i got to confess. It was kind of hard for me to get into the Paw Patrol narrative for a while. But I decided one time, I'm going to listen to this thing all the way through. And the Paw Patrol gang have a superpower, a source of their power. And it's a meteorite. And this meteorite gives them superpowers. Don't you think about that? Not the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of God, but the power of a meteorite. Uh, I post, I do daily devotions. If you want a little kind of spiritual pep during the week, uh, two, three, four minutes long. And I, a, a secular site lets me post on it. And I, I got this feedback from one of the videos. Uh, it said, I have a real father. I don't need an imaginary one. Now, I'm not looking to have an argument. If you don't want to believe the Bible, that's, you know, that's your business. I'm certainly not better than anyone. But, but we live in a secular culture. The world will teach your kids that there is no God. I'm reading a little book about dinosaurs to my son, and it's a secular book. It's void of creation. It's void of God. The starting place is a big bang. The world will teach your children that there is no God, that they evolved from apes, and the universe does not need God to exist. And brilliant people will teach your children Brilliant people will teach your children when they get to college that uh, uh, God is for the simple-minded and those that uh, uh, embrace mythology when we didn't know better. And they'll tell your children and they'll even have proof that the universe was, is self-existing. In other words, the universe is just eternal or the universe came from a big bang. They have no answers what was before the Big Bang and what caused it to happen. But that's the narrative and that's the foundation. This is the world we live in. If you and I don't teach our children about God, nobody else will. If you as an influential person are not teaching about God, it, 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 no one will. So the question is, how do, I, how do I help my kids have a personal relationship with God? And remember what we said, there is a God. He wants relationship with you. And you're accountable to him. Well, how do I teach my kids how to have a relationship with God? Now, look, I can make them get up on Sunday. I remember when my son was about seven, he's sitting on the front row next to Linnell, or when, during worship time, and I'd tell him, raise your hands, and he'd raise his hands. He didn't raise his hands because he was in love with God, I don't think. He raised his hands because Dad told him to. And it's important to go to church. It's important to be a part of it. But there needs to be a personal connection where he's not the man upstairs, but he's my God. Remember when Jesus taught us about our heavenly Father. So how do I do that? Let me give you a little piece of advice. The younger you start this, the better it, the better it is. It's hard to start with a 25-year-old. But if you'll start with your kids, and Rebecca will remember this. When our kids were little, 
we bought them a little Bible story book, the stories of the Bible, and that's how they learned to read. When they were in classes and they were learning phonics and learning how to sound out words, we would sit in the bed at night, and it was the, it was the most, oh, I mean, when I would say, okay, G, G, G's, it's an S, honey, G, Jesus, E, 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 is, two letters, is, good girl, G, 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 come on, honey. God. And we would wait through that for a while. And then she'd get good at it. And then she would start reading herself. And she'd read one page and dad would read one page. And then she'd read both pages. And then dad would say, you read your Bible. I'm going to go to my room and read mine. And then I'll come back and we'll talk about it. And then after we read our Bibles, we'd talk to God. Now, talking to God with the three-year-old today, when it's time for dinner, he's ready to eat. You know, he's already got a piece of pancake in his mouth. But we say, we're going to pray. We put our hands together and say, Jesus. And it's not, he's liable to look up and go, Jesus. Or he's liable to say, or he's liable to just look at his food. It's no telling. But Jesus, thank you for my food. I love you. Amen. Bye for now. But it's beginning to teach your child. Obviously, you can't do that when they're 9, and it becomes different when they're 16. But the greatest thing you can do to help your child have a personal relationship with God is to teach them to have a daily time with God where they read their Bible and they pray. Now, here's the second one. How do kids learn accountability to God? Parents are an authority. They're first-line authority. Second authority is the authority in the school. Third is the civil authority of the police. And fourth is ultimate authority, which is God. And our authority as parents is intended to help those kids, prepare those kids to stand before God one day. So how do I teach them? Number one, we want to teach them right and wrong from the Bible. Again, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is truth. And here's the important one. We correct them when they're wrong. For example, thou shalt not steal. But you're in the grocery store, and your perfect little angel uh, wants some of those little, little crackling candy. What's it called? Uh, Pop Rocks. He wants Pop Rocks, but you say, no, you went to the dentist and had two cavities. You can't have any. And uh, while you go down the aisle to get some milk, he puts the Pop Rocks in his pocket. And uh, you just happen to catch little Bobby at home. Then you got a problem. What are you going to do? Well, Bobby needs to be disciplined, but he needs something else too because you need to make Bobby realize that he didn't just sin against mom, he sinned against God. So what you need to take little Bobby do, in my opinion, Bobby needs to go back to the store and Bobby needs to go to the owner of the store and needs to ask for his forgiveness and give the Pop Rocks back plus a quarter or whatever it cost. And then that night when you go to bed and you're, maybe you're on your knees, you need to say, Bobby, now you need to ask God to forgive you. Because the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not. Yeah, this is how you teach a child to be accountable to God. And then obviously when they do the right thing, you applaud them. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. This is, a, this is the first starting place with our kids. Here's the second one, super vital in today's world. Teach your children to love their neighbor. Now, I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to kind of in the background think about the violence in America. Think about all the hatred and the racism and everything that's going on out there right now. You're saying, Pastor, I came to church to escape that. I know, but I want you to think about a solution. Because, and, and let me say this. I think, 
I've been trying to listen to people when they tell their story about how they were treated in the past or how they're treated today. If a woman lost her job because she was not a man, I want to listen to that. If a black person talks about the way they felt growing up in the South, I want to listen to that. If somebody teaches, t- talks to me about how they were treated on the ball team, I want to listen to that. But, but in listening, there's got to be some answers in our culture as we go forwards. And I want to suggest a big one. Teach your kids to love their neighbor. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, teacher, uh, he asked, and he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, eternal life, that's the mountaintop. What is written in the law? And the man replied, uh, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We just heard that, right? But then he said this, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes into this discourse, who is my neighbor? In verse 30, Jesus tells a story. And here's what I want you to think about violence on our streets. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, he was a stranger. He didn't know him. And the issue is going to be how I treat a stranger in need. Samaritans and Jews are involved. So there's prejudice, even in the biblical era. How do I treat somebody that's different from me. Well, notice what happened. This man was attacked. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They left him half dead. And a priest, a religious man, saw the man. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was the neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, Uh, the one who showed mercy on him. And then what did he say? Go and do likewise. Now I want to suggest to you today that the answer to racism and police brutality in America is if we as a culture would adopt the value of loving our neighbor, this kind of stuff would become a non-issue. If in the case of the policeman, and I don't know all the details, but if loving your neighbor had have guided his life as a policeman, he wouldn't have kept his his foot on the man's neck or his knee on his neck until the guy died. Are you with me today? If loving our neighbor would guide us, people would not be going through our streets burning buildings just because they're there. See, this is love our neighbor. Uh, I, I'm, I'm listening, just like you are, to answers that are coming up. I was very troubled by one that came up the other day because, you know, I've become a fan of Paw Patrol. I heard that there were, they were considering canceling Paw Patrol because it had a policeman in it. I don't know that that's true. I heard that they have a contract. Then I read this week, I'm seeing some of the different cereals and pancake syrup because it has a picture of an African-American years ago on it that uh, they're going to do away with that. They're going to rebrand it. Whereas the the grandson or the grandchildren of this great-great-grandmother who was on this bottle are angry now because they were proud because grandma's heritage was being celebrated. I read yesterday... I read yesterday uh, uh, that Eskimo pies may be done away with. I don't know if it's because black is on the outside and white is on the inside or if it's because of the word Eskimo. But, but here's my point. If we do all these things, if we make America a safe place like they try to make on college campuses, if we knock down every statue, racism will still exist because racism is in the hearts of people. Racism is something that you're taught in your heart. You're taught in your home. 
You learn, you pick up. You pick up from songs, you pick up from television. And it makes you hate people as opposed to love people. And I want to encourage you, I can't control what the world does, but if in my own life I can love my neighbor as myself and I can do my best to teach my children and grandchildren to do the same, listen, our nation will be a better place. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. Uh, here's the third one. Teach kids God's word so they'll know the difference between right and wrong. Now, we alluded to this earlier, but I want to go a little deeper. Uh, the concept of right... Well, first of all, let me ask the question. Does it seem like America is losing her mind? And I say we Americans collectively. Politicians have done such a great job of isolating us in groups. They separate us, everything under the sun, and then we're supposed to hate each other, so we vote for them and we coalesce around them. What a terrible thing. But it just seems like we're losing our mind. We watch our televisions in shock. We see city streets being burned. We see people pillaging stores. And we're told that violence and looting is okay if the cause is just. We're told murdering babies is okay. It's an essential business for an abortion clinic to stay open if mom doesn't want that child. We're told that's okay. Any sexual practice is okay. Anyone, anytime, anywhere... And you don't have the right to tell me that it's not. This is America. This is the TV shows that are in, in your home. Uh, marriage is anything that you want it to be. So you say, what are you getting at? Our problem is that we as Americans are acting like ancient Israel. And I want you to listen to a verse from the book of Judges when it talked about a dark time of the nation. It's a phrase that's mentioned two times, but it's insightful. Judges twenty-one twenty-five. And would you say this with me? It says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now, don't you think about that just a second. Right and wrong in our culture today is self-determined. There's no absolutes. The Bible is not God's word. We're, we are free. The modern culture, I say the modern idolatry is, idolatry is the worship of self. That we have been elevated to the degree that we're told there's no boundaries around human behavior. And nobody can tell anybody else what to do. And there is no God, so you're just free to do what you want to do. America's problem, listen, is we have no longer have moral absolutes that guide us. We kicked the Bible out and God out in the 60s, and this is the mess that we've ended up with today. Let me tell you, we can change that. You and I can return to the God of our fathers and none of our fathers have been perfect. Our founding fathers were not perfect. Some of them were slave owners, but you know what? Some of them were abolitionists. In other words, they wanted to get rid of slavery. And thank God America evolved from that practice, and it's no longer practice in America today. Can you say praise the Lord? But now we have sex slavery that's still active in America. 25 million people, the Secretary of State estimated in 19, uh, 2019, 25 million people around the world are, are, are in slavery today. They're either in forced labor or sexual exploitation and slavery. It's happening in our world today. There are answers. The Bible is the source of right and wrong. Uh, you know, I watched I watch that movie, Taken, uh, you're supposed to make your daughter watch that anytime she moves out of town or goes on a vacation somewhere. But I watched it. You know, I like, I like Liam. I like the hero. And, 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 and do you remember the scene where he's looking for his daughter 
and he goes into this house and these people have kidnapped these girls and these girls are drugged and they're, and they're, and they're chained to a bed and they're bringing him into the sex trade. And of course he goes in and he shoots them all. Now maybe that's what's needed. I can't do that. But, but, <laughs> but here's my question. If these men that did that had been taught to love your neighbor as yourself, if they had been taught the Bible that, that all people are created in the image of God, if they had been raised with a value system like that, they would not have done what they did. Are you with me today? The Bible is the source of right and wrong. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And listen, it says all Scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean? That means from Genesis to Revelation that God prompted men to write this book, 40-some men, uh, over a period of almost 2,000 years, wrote 66 individual books that became one book with one consistent message to humanity that is verified by both archaeology and science for those that pursue that direction. It is a book whose prophecies are validated, written 700 years apart. It's a book that even a thinking person that doesn't believe in it should consider. But the Bible, Scripture says, notice it's inspired by God, but it teaches us what's true and makes us realize what's wrong. And here's what I want you to know. Our children will not know right from wrong unless we teach them. It's just factual. I'm so grateful I still live in the Bible Belt in the South. There is an underpinning of still religion in our culture, but it is changing and disappearing. Uh, let me tell you what we do as a church. We started our kids' ministry back today. Those kids are safe. We do temperatures. You know, there's social distancing and all that. But we're your partner with your kids. We're the only partner, not just us, but churches. Bible-believing churches are the only partner someone trying to raise their kids according to the Bible has. If I had a child that was preschool to elementary, I would get him in that Wednesday night program. Again, it's online. You've got to look it up. But Pastor Michael and his team are doing such an excellent job. And every week, you can go back and look at old videos. It's not, it's not just relegated to that time. But let us partner with you. And together, we can raise kids that might uh, be able to turn America back around before it's too late. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me give you the fourth lesson. I think you're going to enjoy this. Help your kids discover God's purpose for their life. Now, this is huge because there's many of us that are 30, 40, even 50 years, 60 years of age and don't know what our purpose in life is. But if a child can catch on this early on, it will change their life forever. Now, let me tell you why I get, where I get this. Jeremiah 1.5, God told Jeremiah, he said, before you were born... I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I called you to be a prophet. Psalm 139, the psalmist said, You, God, saw me before I was born. Now listen, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Now that doesn't mean we're a robot. That doesn't mean we don't have free will. But what it means is God had an intention and a plan for our children to live their lives by. Well, the big question obviously is, how do I help my kids find God's purpose for their life? Now, I'm going to do the endeavor to do this with my grandchildren, so I want to encourage you to listen on this one. How do I help my kids find God's purpose for their life? Here's the first one. Expose them to opportunities to serve God and meet the needs of people. 
What do you mean by that, Pastor? I'll illustrate it. My wife here on the front row, I married a missionary. And from the time the girls were about, I don't know, 9, 10 years old, Linnell has taken them to mission trips to the third world, to foreign countries. Uh, uh, I thought, well, they're a little bit young, honey. And, and asked Bethany, what she, Rebecca, what she thought. Oh, yeah, I want to go because I'll miss school for a week. <laughs> and I'll get to spend a whole week with mom. But those kids got to go down there and touch the purity of, the, of, of, of love for God in the third world, in a world that was void of any material things. And it touched their hearts. It touched their hearts in a number of ways. It touched their hearts. Both Bethany and, uh, my, well, my daughter Bethany spent two years in Africa. She and her husband as missionaries just got back. Bethany went last year, wanted to go this year, but the COVID uh, prevented it. She spent there, and, and it, was, it brought the most dramatic spiritual change in her life that I've observed in the 20 years that she's been on this earth. Something happened there simply because mom gave her an opportunity. We've been trying to help encourage, in this next one, uh, help them connect their gifts and abilities. What I mean by that, whatever they're good at, help them connect it somehow to a kingdom purpose. Now, Tim Tebow's parents did that. They didn't try to make him a missionary. They got him throwing a ball because he was gifted and called to do that. Uh, same thing with, uh, uh, with my kids. Rebecca is a child whisperer, which means she, she has a grace with children. She just does. I mean, there can be a crying baby and even the mama can't help it. And Rebecca has this ability to just love that child and she's at peace. Well, we've talked about, honey, doing something with your life. Uh, 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 that, that you can reach and help a lot of children. So she has a career aspiration now. She's moving towards a master's degree, and she had dreams when she was younger when she would go to the mission field with mom and see the orphan kids about planting uh, orphanages around the world. And I hope she keeps that dream alive, that she's able to build and plant orphanages around the world. Why? Because she's gifted, and you get them connected. My son was a soccer player. He was, he was good. I would say, even at this day, when I am 80 or 90 years old, some of the fondest memories of my life will be watching my son kick that soccer ball. I'll, I, I'll never forget, right here at Spring Lake Park, he's probably I don't know, six years old maybe, and he's running down that field, and he kicks that ball around three or four or five different players, and into the goal it goes. And he just kept doing that throughout his growing up years and got real good at it in high school. But let me tell you what stands out to me. One game, not just one game, but a number of games, he had a little boy on his team that had a, a handicap. had some problem with his foot, and he would run kind of like this, dragging his foot. Well, how many know you're not going to be the best soccer kid on the field? And this one time, I'll never forget it, John is running down the field. He's fully able to just run in the goal and score the goal. But you know what he did? He would pass to this little boy. My son has a sensitive, tender heart for people that he has to this day. And I appreciated his sports, but what I really appreciated is that he brought his sports into loving his neighbor. See, this is what we do as parents to shape our kids what they're good at into the kingdom. And lastly, of course, we want to encourage our kids to get education and experience to excel in their calling. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today here. I hope this is helping you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to close with this last one, lesson number five. And I would say that this is the toughest one. And here's what it is. We want to teach our children to love God and his ways more than the world. Now, when I say love God and his ways more than the world, I ask you a question. How many like to have a nice house? Let me see your hand. 
The rest of you are liars. You wouldn't raise your hand if I asked who wants me to buy lunch. Uh, who wants to have a nice house? Who wants to have a nice new car? New truck? Sure. New shoe. I mean, I mean, we all aspire for things in life. Who, who, who would like to win the publisher's clearing house uh, $5,000 a week here? Sure. I, uh, well, I'm sorry, but it's coming to my house. I got the email yesterday and said they're showing up on June 30th. N these are not bad things, but we can love them more than we love God. And the challenge is not to just, my child will love God or he'll love the world, but God will be first and the things of the world will be second. Listen to some words that are, that are profound, strong words. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John the Apostle writes these words. He says, don't love this world. Now, we don't see this in English, but in Greek there were three or four words for the word love. And the strongest word is, how many know we love hamburgers? And we loved our Christmas present. And uh, we love a beautiful, you know, pretty day outside. But this strong word, agape, don't love the world, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And what the Bible's telling us, it, it, it has to do with our priorities in life. Don't love or agape this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. In other words, the greatest temptation, your children will either face, and we're going to define what the world is in a moment, but you can either go that way or you can go God's ways. The world offers this. Here's the definition. A craving for physical pleasure. Would it be fair today to say that the most common question we ask people, including kids, after an experience is, did you have fun? You went out on a date tonight. What do you ask your daughter? Did he behave was the first thing you'd ask, but... The second thing you'd ask, did you have fun? Uh, your kids go to a ball game. Did you have fun? Your kids go to, go to a kid's zone today. Did you have fun? Nothing wrong with that, but it can feed into something. Craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. My little socks are cool and my little shirt's cool, but my little grandson, you know, he has a lot of people that love him. And I remember when he was born, uh, there, there was a decision I had heard his, his parents make that he wasn't going to have that many toys. And now every time somebody shows, yesterday I get home and there's this Paw Patrol fire truck. I said, where'd that come from? Aunt Beck. And then when Aunt B goes somewhere, she, why do you do that? You, because you love these kids. But, but somehow it creates in them this, this lust for more. Uh, I, I got him a present. I was, uh, how many know when you're turkey hunting and your grandson comes home unexpectedly and COVID is out there so you can't go in Walmart and, uh, and, 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 uh, or, or Target, it, it's pretty hard to find a real nice present. But I managed to find in an Easy Mart uh, a, a monkey, a multicolored monkey, and it said on there, I'm going to time out, which happened to fit him perfection. They were teaching him time out. And then I, I told him on the phone, and I said, Henry Pops is bringing you a present. It's a really good present. You're really going to like it. And I give it to him, and you know what he said? Where's the big present? <laughs> and, and, and I say this because this is the world our children are raised in. Pride in our achievements and possessions. Listen, these are not from the Father, but they're 
from the world. This world is fading away. In other words, all of these things will fade away and everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So here's our challenge. It's not to get rid of Paw Patrol. It's not to get rid of the monkeys and the gifts. It's just to help our children have God first and these things second as opposed to these things first. This could be career. It could be ambition, the size of our house, our car, our toys, uh, our big boy toys, uh, the accolades of people, or it could be God. It's first in our life. And this is our challenge because the primary pursuit of the people of the world who don't know God, you know what they're after? They're after money, pleasure, hobbies, and possessions. And it is the greatest uh, temptation that our kids face because it squeezes God out. So I'll close with this thought. How in the world can I teach my child to love God more than he loves things? Let me tell you something that will help you if you'll practice it. Teach your children at an early age as possible to give and serve others. Let me tell you how that works. I, I, I just All my life, we have taught our kids biblical tithing. All our life, we've taught our kids to give to missionaries, you know, to, to put money in the can to feed kids in Haiti. But I, I taught a lesson yesterday, and all my kids are grown. But I got a, a video back. I wish I could share it, but, but it was lengthy. It was from a missionary in Mexico. And uh, you remember Pastor Travis said that we've been sending missions money out because... Nations of the world are having problem with COVID just like we are. And I had a missions friend. He just kind of, just matter of factly, he said, hey, I've got some poor people that I'm trying to help or in our ministry if y'all want to do anything. So we sent him some money, some of your money, not a lot, but some. And uh, uh, I, I got this message back. And he said, I, w- I want to tell you something that happened. He said, and I assumed it was his daughter, had been going to visit this family in, in the barrio. And they were down there. And she said, every time they would go, this lady would give my daughter uh, a, a, an old, crusty to- uh, tortilla to eat. Now, I want you to think about the tortillas when you're making tacos at home. You, you know the worst thing that happens on taco night, don't you? When the taco breaks when you fold it in half. And you throw it away. Well, it's that taco shell. And she said one time she went in and she put a little green sauce on it. That was it. The next time she went in, she sprinkled a little salt on it. And that was it. And that happened several times. And finally, the daughter realized these people don't have any food because her husband was working. Mind you now, I'm showing this whole video testimony to my grown kids yesterday for this reason. Her, her husband drives a little cab, and because of COVID, nobody's riding the cab. They didn't have any money. Well, it was at this same time that we had sent some money down. This missionary got it. The girl went out to the grocery. She bought some eggs she bought some rice, she brought some beans, and she just made a little food packet, gives it to the family, and the woman crying said, we didn't have any food today. I've never had a day in my life where I didn't have any food. Well, can I tell you, when you touch that, when you bring that experience to your children, and they think about what they're going to do with their money and their time, they're going to remember that little lady, and they're not just going to live for themselves pursuing bitter, uh, bigger, better, and more, they're going to live for God. And you'll break that spirit of materialism in them as they become givers and servers. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Give him a big hand. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and uh, we're going we're gonna to close with a prayer.
And uh, don't forget, uh, dads, when you go out in the parking lot, there'll be some of these little baggies. It's actually pretty cool. It's some popcorn. It's some, uh, some nuts, some peanuts. It's a little cookie in there, a little cracker. But uh, I want to pray for you today. And my hope is that you will apply these lessons that we've learned in influencing kids. Teach your kids there is a God. And teach your kids that this God wants relationship with them. And teach your kids that they're accountable to him. Teach your kids the second lesson. Teach them uh, to love their neighbor. Teach your children this lesson that will change their lives. To love their neighbor. Teach your children that God has a purpose for their life. That God has a plan. Teach your children God's word so they'll know right from wrong. And lastly, teach your children that God is more important than the things of the world because God and His ways are eternal. I want you to bow your head just a moment. And I want all the, the, the men, if you were responsible for raising a child now or you have relationship, you could be an, even an uncle, a dad, a granddad. I want you to lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I want any woman that's here today and say, Pastor, I'm raising kids. I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I'm, a, I'm an aunt, I'm a single mom. I'm influencing the neighbor kids. I want you to lift your hands. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I'm an influencer. I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. I have a lot of kid friends that are on Facebook. Uh, I want to influence them. Would you just lift your hands? So for all of us, Lord, what we're after for these kids is godly wisdom. Lord, what we are praying for is that you would help us be deliberate and responsible as we try to communicate to the children that we love that God has a better way. Lord, I want to ask you today that no one beats themselves up today with condemnation and shame. There's not one perfect parent in this room, but there's a perfect God. So Lord, forgive us when we've messed up and give us another chance if there's brokenness in our homes. And we love you today in Jesus' name. We're going to, here's how we close. We have one last song, and during that song, we have a prayer team. Actually, I want our prayer team to come to the front right now if you're here. If you're here and you have personal need from God, listen, we want to be able to pray with you. Prayer team, come on up now. After the service, people will dismiss. We've got four doors, two up front, two up back. Um, again, if you have your offering, you want to drop it off there, your guest card, you can do that on the way out and pick up your little gift bag for dads. But if you want prayer, just kind of sit Sit, stay in your seat, and they're going to look for you. But if you're here today, and, and you want somebody to pray with you about your relationship with God, I want you to listen to me just a moment. Remember in the part of the message when I, I, I talked to you and I said, there is a God, and he wants relationship with you. Can I tell you, as a young boy, I went to church, but I didn't know that. I just thought God was upstairs, and when I was in trouble, if I called to him, and he'd help me, and then I, he'd go back upstairs. But God wants a relationship with us 24 hours of every day. And the thing that every one of us realize at some point in our life, our sin separates us from God. And that's why Jesus died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. That happened 2,000 years ago. But the question is, will I respond to what Jesus did? You see, the way to begin a relationship with God is to pray and ask for Him to forgive you. And listen, commit your life to follow Him. And if that's you today, if you're away from God, Maybe you used to have a relationship with God, but you just got away. 
and you want to come back today, you want somebody to pray for you, we'd be honored to pray with you. So if you need a relationship with God and, and, and you want somebody to pray for you, actually, Pastor Mike's over here. Pastor Mike, just wave your hand over here. He'll be happy to pray with you. I want you to just slip out of your chair during this song, and he'd be honored to pray with you today. Go ahead and sing this last song, Pastor Zach. We're going to worship the Lord, then he'll, he'll dismiss you. And if you want prayer, it's available. I love you, and thanks for coming. stay here and worship as long as you'd like to hang out with us and uh, if you need prayer you know let someone know but for everybody else you can be dismissed at any time i uh, just pray that you have a blessed day and a very blessed father's day